book of Luke. And uh, up until this point, it's taken us about, golly, I want to say 10 or 11 weeks to get up to about halfway done with chapter 4. Well, this morning, we are going to be fast-forwarding pretty swiftly this morning. So I need y'all to buckle up. I've had a full cup of coffee this morning. And uh, God has told me we're going to move on pretty quickly from this point on. So y'all stay with me, but um, let's pray and we're going to dig in. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for um, allowing us to feel your presence here, God. Lord, we know that you're here. Um, We don't have to ask for you to come, God. You're here right now, Lord. And we praise you. We pray that as we go through these scriptures, God, as we look through your word, um, as we try to center in on who you are, Jesus, and what you have done and what you are calling us to do, God, I pray that you just make it so clear to us the areas in our own life um, that we need to surrender to you. And God, I pray that you would not allow us to leave um, apathetic, that you would not allow us to leave um, with no conviction, but God, that you would challenge us, that you would mold and shape us, God, to the men and women that you have created us to be. God, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for the fact that regardless of what we have done in the past or what we're going through now, you are calling us today, God. Lord, we love you. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. So if you missed last week, today is kind of a part B from last week. So last week, we're in Luke chapter 4, and and basically what's going on is Jesus is in his hometown, right? He's in Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, and he's preaching, right? He opens up the scroll, and it's the book of Isaiah, and he reads, and he's pretty much proclaiming, I am the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And, And what we talked about was how that looked way different than what the Israelites, the Jews, the Pharisees, what they thought it was going to look like. Jesus coming and him proclaiming that he's the Messiah and the gospel was going to look way different than what they were expecting. And we talked about, there's many ways, but we talked about four four ways it looked different. The first way that it was different was Jesus was coming, the gospel was coming, and it was for everyone. Not just the Jews, not just the Israelites, not just God's chosen people, but it was for everyone, and they hated that. In their mind, in their history, Jesus was coming only to save them because they were God's chosen people, right? So when Jesus was born, that whole ethnic-centered focus salvation died, right? Praise God, amen? Amen, that's good news. The second way it was going to look different was when Jesus comes and the gospel comes, it was not just for people who were morally good, but it was for people with very dark, twisted past and people who are currently struggling. Uh, they, they couldn't wrap their minds around that, that Jesus would come to save broken people. Right? And, and then the third way it was going to look different, it was no longer just about outward actions, but it was more about transformed hearts, right? And we've seen that, uh, that and the next thing that we talked about, too, was that when Jesus came, um, it wasn't going to be about this great political movement, right? Nowhere where Jesus ever about a political movement. Jesus was always about, the gospel's always been about, he will always be about, the gospel will always be about transform hearts, transforming people, transforming families, transforming communities, transforming cultures, right? And so in their mind, they, they just could not wrap their minds around that, and the outcome was they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, right? And we talked about it's kind of like a cartoon. There's a bunch of dust, people yelling, and Jesus kind of moves away, right? It's awesome. 
And, and so basically what we covered was um, Jesus' claim that he came to preach the good news to the poor, to set captives free, and to bring liberty to those who were oppressed, right? And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, I love it. I love it. And if you don't love that, something wrong with your heart. Because all of that is good news for people like us, right? And so today, right, this is part two. Um, we have a lot to cover um, because I, I think that we're entering into a season of, of our church and some of the members in our church to where God just wants us to go and talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And so our mission today, this is kind of a part B to last week, is to see um, to one of two things. One, to see if Jesus really is who he says he is and if he really came to do what he said he came here to do. Because if Jesus didn't do what he said he was going to do, then that means he's a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, then we don't have to trust him. Right? Because it's one thing to say something, right? Do you guys agree with this? It's one thing to say something, but it's a complete different thing to actually do something. Do you guys agree with that? Yes or no? Right? And so Jesus came here and he says, I'm going to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm going to set captives free. I'm going to heal people. It's going to be people, different ethnic backgrounds. It's going to be the, the lost and the evil, wicked. If he claims all of these things but doesn't live it out, we're wasting our time. But if he came here and he did what he said he came here to do, we have an obligation, a demand to be about the same mission that Jesus Christ came here on. There is no options. If Jesus did what he said he was going to do, it's an obligation to follow him. Y'all ready? I don't know if y'all are ready or not. Okay? Let's go. Need to wake y'all up. Chapter 4, starting at verse 31. <clears throat> and he went down to Capernaum, right? So now, he, he, remember, he got kicked out of his hometown. So now this is his new home base, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us? Okay, that's plural. So if there's anyone ever says, What is you to do with us? Be afraid. Right? If someone starts saying us, that's a, that's a good sign of, man, there's something wrong with them, okay? Uh, what have you to do with us? And the demon said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, so I just want to quickly hit on this, all right? Um, yes, there is a such thing as demons, right? Demons are 100% real, right? There's this thing about these little minions that the devil um, has control over. They follow the devil. The devil can't be everywhere at one time, but these demons can go and they can terrorize the mess out of you. 100% true. But what I want you to see in this next verse, there's no dualistic battle between demons and Satan and Jesus. It's not like they're in a chess match to where Jesus makes a move and the demon goes checkmate. Right? When Jesus speaks, they listen. When Jesus says something, they obey because they know ultimately Jesus has the extreme and 100% authority. So there's not this dualistic, one of my friends has a tattoo of a demon on this side and Jesus. I'm like, man, you wasted your money, right? There's no battle. Well, I mean, there, there's spiritual battle, but Jesus has the ultimate power and authority. And we're seeing it in the next verse. Check it out. Verse 35. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirit, and they come out. And reports went about the surrounding region about him. Okay, so here's what's going on. Jesus, right, he walks into the room. He begins to preach. He's, he's teaching. He's proclaiming the good news, right? And here comes this man who literally is oppressed, literally is demon-possessed, comes in, and, and, and he's there. Now, what I want, you, I want you to hear this for a second, okay? Um, when Jesus says, come out, what did I just say? They listen, Right? Jesus says, shut up, get out, and they listen to him. Right? And another text, Jesus says, shut up, demons, come out, get into the pigs, and they run off a cliff. Right? And so I just want you to see the power that Jesus has. But listen to this. Um, what's going on, uh, anyone who had an unclean demon, which I never understood that, right? Uh, I don't know if there's a difference between a clean demon and an unclean demon, right? I'm not like this spiritual warfare expert, Right, but I, I don't think I've ever heard someone go, "Oh, don't worry about this demon; he's fine, he's clean." Right? I don't, I don't think that's what's happening here. Um, but we'll get to it there here in a minute. But what happens is when someone was possessed by an unclean demon, these high religious authorities, these Pharisees, these Israelites, these Jews, what they would do is they'll, man, they're unclean and possessed for a reason. And they would deem them unworthy of God, unworthy to be in the church, unworthy of the Torah, the law, right? And, and they would, unworthy of their own presence, like you should not be around me because you are possessed, right? And so here comes Jesus, right? He, he's in the synagogue, here comes this man, and, and what does Jesus do? Does he fall in line with these Pharisees? No. He heals this man. He rebukes these demons and sets this man free. And so I think, right, I think we have been reading something here lately about Jesus claiming he came here to set people who are overwhelmed, possessed, stressed out, anxiety written to set people free. Am I right about that? Have we... Have we been studying something about that. So it kind of looks like to me so far, Jesus is hitting a home run, right? But that's not enough. We, I want us to keep going because um, I want us to see if Jesus really does what he says he's going to do, um, man, we have a, a lot to grasp. So um, look at verse 38. So right after this, right, he, he arose and left the synagogue because after church, you have to have a potluck, right? Right? And so he goes into Simon's house and Simon's mother-in-law was ill with the high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. Okay, so I want to just make this clear. It wasn't like she was dying here. But if you've ever had a high fever, you feel like the air around you is attacking you. Right? Like everything hurts. You're under a blanket, but you're hot and cold at the same time. So to her, she is in complete agony. Okay? So they're coming to her. Jesus, will you hear? And he stood over her. Verse 39. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them. And demons also came out crying, You are the Son of God. 
But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Amen. So to fully grasp this, we have to kind of go and understand the first century type of mindset. So in the first century, in this time period, in this culture, if you had any type of illness, whether it was a fever or a disease or um, a disability, the mindset was that you have that because of A, your own sin or your own vices. It was something that you did wrong and God's punishing you. Or B, your parents messed up. Right? And now their curse of their sin has followed you, and that's why you're sick or have a disease or you're crippled. Okay? And, and so for them, people would go and debate whether you were sick because of your sins or your parents' sins. Right? And there's actually a time in the New Testament, we'll get to there uh, at some point, maybe in five years from now. I don't know as long as it's taking us to go through Luke, we'll get somewhere. Right? But at some point, they're going to bring a man to Jesus who is just messed up, and they're going to question him. Why is this man sick? It's because of his sins or his parents' sins. But what we have here is Jesus, okay, centering on who Jesus is, standing in a room full of unclean, not worthy of love, not worthy of mercy, not worthy to be touched. We have all these people in this room, and the scripture tells us that he personally laid his hand on them all. And that's good. He would put his bare hand on them all. Remember last week we said that set at liberty to those who are oppressed. What that means is that those who were on the outside, those who were ridiculed because of their ethnicity or their sin or their background or their disease or their illnesses, all those people who were on the outside, those are exactly who Jesus come to set free. Hmm. Y'all must be tired this morning. That's us. We're going to get there. Hold on. We'll just wait. But so here's, here's what's going on. We see Jesus fully engaging this culture and this group of people that Pharisees and the Israelites and these high righteous, self-righteous people, they would never touch. We see Jesus fully engaging that whole entire culture. Not just talking about it. Not just sending money to go to somebody else who's engaging them, not just praying for them, but Jesus himself going into the culture and engaging the dirty, the sick, and the outcast. And so for us, what that means, we have to see that what does that mean for us? That, that has to be a challenge for us, right? Because if Jesus is doing that and we're Christ followers, how are we engaging the culture? What are we doing to reach those who are being oppressed by illness? How are we serving them? We'll get there. So Jesus comes in and he's not condemning them. No, he's, he's literally healing them, right? He goes in, um, he's preaching, telling people that he's come here to do a great work. And he's healing a man with the unclean demon. Heals uh, Simon's sick mama-in-law, right? And he's healing and he's curing and he's tossing out demons, making unclean people clean, right? And, and as of now, what we're reading so far, Jesus is doing exactly what he said he came here to do. So let's keep going. Look at verse 42. 
And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. I want you guys to always remember that Jesus is just, he has to go away for a little bit. Um, the, the, even Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, he had to move to, to get reconnected with his father to pray and to rest, right? And so he goes into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For why I was sent here for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue of Judea. And so here's what's going on, right? This is big. I want you to grasp it because Jesus now, he, he's the popular kid from the ghetto desert Nazareth, right? He, he's now, he, the word has spread. Every time we read that the word, a report went about him, that means Jesus now, he's up here. Everyone knows him. He's the best preacher around. Not only is he the best preacher around, and no one's heard anybody speak like Jesus has spoken at this moment, but he's healing people. So Jesus is like, Boom. Right. And, and so what he's doing, he, he's so popular at this point. He can't even go to a desolate place without a mob of people coming up and saying, hey, stay here. We, we, don't, we don't want you to go anywhere. Jesus, I, I know you got other ministry to do, but stay here. And so why this is big. Right. I want you to think back just a chapter away from here. Right. Jesus was in the desert, the wilderness. Satan was tempting him and he's tempted him with, hey, I'll give you all of the kingdom of the whole world. All you have to do is bow to me. All this will be yours. And so right here at this moment, Jesus has a big temptation once again. Right. These people are glorifying him. Right? They're glorifying him. in the pastor's conference in Jefferson City. Right. Every Monday I go to it. One of the pastors said that um, he's never preached a sermon and people clap for him afterwards, right? But, but we sing songs and we, and we clap. I, I'm not asking for that, but that's just what's happening here with Jesus, right? I mean, they love him. They're hanging on to every word that he's speaking. Jesus, stay here. Jesus, stay here. And Jesus could have gone, absolutely. This is awesome. Y'all love me. Y'all listen to me. I've already healed everybody. I'm kind of close to home, right? But what did Jesus do? No, I got to go. I was sent on a mission. And my mission is to proclaim the good news. I got to go. And, and they could not understand, right, um, that, that Jesus would leave. And I want you to notice, Christians, that as we focus in on Jesus, that his focus on God's will over man's will was at the center of Jesus' heart. Jesus never gave in to any of his agenda. He didn't give any to man's agenda for him. Jesus was 100% focused on the kingdom of God and proclaiming the good news. And so as Christians, we have the obligation to be about the same thing as Jesus Christ because we follow Christ. And if our heart is not in line with Jesus and his mission, man, it, our lives will it'll, it'll show Jesus, the king of the universe, being glor- they were glorifying him. They're all stars. Jesus, you're the best. But Jesus says, man, I, I, I got to go. He'll, he'll eventually go on to say, man, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. Philippians um, chapter 2, man, he, he came to be poured out, emptied himself. He came here to die. He came here to literally be a slave. Jesus, stay here. No, I got to go. Right? And so what that sounds like to me um, is he's doing exactly what he said he came here to do. Amen?
Let's keep pushing. Chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, right? So, I mean, crowds are just constantly following, following this guy, right? Pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into the, one of the boats, which was Simon's, right? He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, I want you to focus in on this because I love Simon. All of us have a little bit of Simon in us, right? Listen to this. And when he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, right? So all of us kind of understand what that, what's going on. He was washing his nets. They're done for the day. They didn't catch anything, right? And Jesus says, no, throw it on that side, right? And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You hear a little sarcasm in there, right? So Simon's like, yeah, I respect you. You're obviously someone important because all these people are listening to you. But I hear you, Jesus. But uh, I don't think this is going to work. But I'll do it because you asked me to, right? We do that constantly with Jesus. Jesus, I know that you're good. I know that you're calling me. But I don't think it's going to work. But I'll, I'll do it anyways, right? And so, so here's what happens, okay? And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were literally were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they had filled both boats so that they began to sink, that's called the Lord's favor. Amen. But the, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord. For he and all who were with him were, once again, astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed. Okay, so there, there's, I mean, we can spend weeks on this passage, but what, I just want to give us a little context to, to keep us focusing. We're, we're literally focusing on Jesus Christ, right? And if he came here to do what he said he came here to do. And so to have a little context of what's happening, uh, I need to talk about the process in which rabbis chose their disciples, right? So rabbi is teacher, and, and these days these Jewish teachers, right, they would have disciples, these young men that would follow them, who were sent to these guys, would follow them. He would teach these young men um, his teachings of the law, of the Torah, and of God, and then they would grow up and go out and teach other people, right? That's called discipleship. Someone say discipleship for me. Thank you. Okay? It's a very biblical thing, right? It's kind of something that we're commanded to do. But the process of them picking their disciples, what would happen is when a young boy would met a certain age, they would send them to a school pretty much, and they would educate this group of boys. Okay? And the ones that excelled, that were good at this, they would move on to the next round. And the ones who were bad at the schooling system, they would send home back to mom and daddy. And they would learn, um, learn some type of trade and, and just work. Okay? And then they would take that group of boys who made it and push them even further. right? And, and who were the best of those, they, they were picked kind of like a draft. Right? And, and then the ones that didn't make it to that last round, they were sent home to mom and dad to learn a trade. Okay? So here's what's going on. I want y'all to see this because I don't, I don't think we, we fully grasp what happens here. Okay? What happens? Jesus comes. 
And his mission is to proclaim the good news, to set people free, to, rest, um, to, to, to let the captives go, right? To heal people, okay? And, and what he's doing is he's picking his crew. And, and he's picking fishermen, okay? So, so what we just learned, right, is that God and the people he chose to engage the culture... The men that he chose to help him set people free, the people that he entrusted to bring the good news to other people around the world, they were bad fishermen. They didn't make the draft is what I'm trying to say here. Right? They weren't first round picks. Matter of fact, these men were not even in the mindset of the religious leaders. These guys were the outcasts, the dumb ones, not the shiniest bulb in the box. If you guys are picking up what I'm throwing down here. They weren't good choices. And here comes Jesus. Who cares more about our heart than our outward appearance. Cares more about what's in our heart and us being transformed by his word. Rather than us being moral. Comes to the boat of not even good fishermen. And says, oh yeah, these are my boys. Come on. That's good news. Maybe some of you have a different high self-esteem than I do. But I I recognize my failures. I, I recognize where I've failed God, where I've sinned against God. I've recognized my own weaknesses, my own wickedness. And despite of who I am, God has called me. And despite of who you are and what you've done in your past, and despite of what you think of yourself, and despite of what you're currently going through, God has chosen you, and that means that He has a purpose for you, regardless of you. This is good news. They weren't the brightest bulbs in the, in the building, right? Jesus comes up, man, and He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. And, and what gets me upset is when I see Christians wasting their lives on issues and things that have no eternal value whatsoever. When Jesus has called us with a purpose. Amen? That's a different sermon for a different time. We're pushing. Ready? Look at verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there was a man full of leprosy. Okay, and this is kind of funny. I want to share. I I write notes in my Bible, and I've had this Bible for probably three years. And at some point, I don't know why I wrote this, but it says, Donnie, what are you full of? (laughs) So I don't know what I was going through when I read this, but this man was full of leprosy. And that's not just, that's a different than just having leprosy. Right? Remember, Luke is a physician, so having leprosy and being full of leprosy are two very different things. When you're full of leprosy, stuff's falling off of your body. I mean, it's eating your flesh. So, I mean, literally, no mouth, no ears are falling off. Flat, I mean, just disgusting. So this man, full of leprosy, verse, chapter, or, sorry, verse 12, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. Notice that clean again. This guy in his mind, he has been deemed unclean, unworthy to be loved by God. If you will it, Jesus, you can make it me clean. Okay, so, so I want you to see um, what Jesus is doing here. Look at verse 13. 
And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report had went about him, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he once again withdrew to a desolate place to pray. So Jesus... He, he comes in and, and he's fully, once again, I'm talking, I just want you to, to ring in your head. He's fully engaging the culture around him. He's engaging with them. He's being with them. He's healing those people that the self-righteous leaders would have viewed as spiritually unclean and unworthy of their time. And Jesus comes and he, I, I will, I, I do will it. Be clean. This is why I came here. Be clean. Once again, if you're a Christian in here, this has to do something to your heart. This has to make you look at your own life and see and, and, and think, how am I engaging the lost, the unrighteous people in my culture? Because if it doesn't look like love and if it doesn't look like grace, you're on the wrong mission here. Jesus comes in. I will it. Be healed. If your engagement with loss is bashing or spreading hate, living in fear of them, or maybe flat out just never um, um, uh, thinking about them, just being apathetic towards lost people, there's a heart issue that's going on inside of you and you're so far away from the mission of God. But you're not so far that you can't come back. It's very easy, and we're going to talk about that literally in the next few verses, how easy it is for a religious spirit to take hold of us. Okay? And so, so think about Jesus. Here. He's engaging the culture. He, no, I came here to heal this man. Okay? Let's keep pushing. Verse 17. On one of these days, he was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, right? A man who was paralyzed. Y'all know the story, right? Uh, was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Okay? They, they heard about this report is going around that Jesus can heal the unclean, the unworthy. And here's some good friends. If you don't have friends like this, you need some friends like this who said, I need to get my friend to Jesus. Listen to their heart. They had enough faith. Okay, I heard what Jesus is doing. We got to get my friend there. Okay? But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles um, into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, listen to that. When they saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes, all right, this is brand new territory here. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, now I want you to see, here's, here's a cool thing about uh, Jesus being God. He's got powers that we don't have, right? Uh, look, I wish I had this power because I would love to see some of your thoughts as you stare at me every Sunday, right? But look at Jesus, verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, okay, reading their mind, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Okay? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Pause. Okay? This, Jesus is making a, a pretty bold, like he's, Jesus is a full-blown savage rebel at this point. He's about to mic drop on him. Okay? This is what he says. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Right? No duh. Right? <laughs> and so, so here's what's going on here. Throughout history, before Jesus Christ, when somebody sinned, okay, they had to work this system that God had laid out for them. Meaning, if you had sin in your life that you needed to be forgiven of, you had to work the system and sacrifice something. Something had to be offered up to God to be forgiven of your sins. Okay? That was before Jesus. Okay? And, and so what I want you to see here is that this man, all that he had done was have faith in Jesus and was lured into a room. He did nothing. Absolutely nothing. And Jesus forgave him. So now I, I need you to see this shift. It's, it's no longer about us. It's no longer about how good we are, how righteous we are. It doesn't matter. It's no longer about us bringing something. God, here, please love me. Please forgive me. The shift has changed. It is all about Jesus Christ and His righteousness and what He has done for us. He did nothing. For by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves, right? I want to you guys learned it this week. Not of yourselves so that no one can boast. This man was dropped into the room. So I don't know why we try to come to God and go, Hey, look what I've done. Please forgive me now. That's, that's not how it works anymore. Amen? That's good news because some of y'all are lazy anyways. <laughs> Alright, just kidding. Here we go. Verse 27. We're pushing. Verse 27. This is great. This, I, look, if you don't see that Jesus is doing what He said He's going to do, if you don't see it up until this point, then you're going to see it next. Listen to this. After He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, He said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, He rose and followed Him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Sounds like a good time, right? And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered him, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to the call of the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And, and we, can, we can dig as deep as you want here, but uh, there's some context, once again, that I, I think we failed to realize, right? My grandpa was a tax collector. 
Everyone loved him, okay? He, he was a great man who, who led me to the Lord. Led, I mean, I, I watched that man give $500 to the homeless people and just to share the gospel with them, right? I mean, he, he, so just because we say, oh, uh, Levi was a tax collector and Jesus forgave him, that's not enough. You have to understand the context. So in this time, Rome was in charge. They ruled everything from uh, England to India, right? And, and in order to rule that mass of land, you have to have a very large army full of very large, wicked, evil, do not care about anything or anybody, men who will kill people for you. And the only way to keep that army is to fund them. Right? Y'all, y'all tracking with me here? And so the only way that they can fund this massive evil army is to raise taxes on the people that they're oppressing, right? That they're killing and pay them in. And so Levi, okay, has the rights, he bought the rights to raise taxes on these people so that they can fund this army. And so it's not enough to go, everyone hates tax collectors. You need to understand that Levi was the man who was stealing money from you so that he can pay the army that was killing thousands and thousands of your friends and family. Everyone despised him. Okay? So what does Jesus do? Right? I want you to see this. Jesus comes to him. Hey, Levi. Come on, bro. You're with me now. Can you see why they grumbled and hated Jesus? Why they were mad that Jesus not only went into one of their houses, but ate with them and reclined and had drinks with them? Do you see why they're mad? But we have to see what Jesus is doing. He says, come. He he went to the darkest of the dark, the dirty of the dirt, right? And he says, come, follow me. And what he's doing here, right? Is if God can forgive and call the tax collector, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, 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 God, God can love me, right? I don't, I don't think you guys are with me this morning. Y'all hear me? Kids, y'all need to be quiet because this is important. If God can love Levi, he can love me. And, and so what, what Jesus is doing here, right? Or, or matter of fact, here, I'll, I'll talk about Paul. It's not just a task letter, but look at Paul. I love Paul and his writings because nowhere in Paul's letters, his 13 letters, do you see this high self-esteem, make you feel good type of gospel. Y'all with me? I, I love Paul. He never ever is going to go, oh, uh, God loves me because I'm his child and, and I'm good and, 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 you know, butterflies and whatnot. Paul never, there's no high self-esteem gospel. Okay? Paul constantly goes, I was wicked. I was a blasphemer. I killed the church. I persecuted Christians. And despite of me, God saved and called me. Okay? Now, I, I, I don't know if you have grown numb to your own life. Or maybe you've just been good your whole life. But regardless, the Bible tells us that sin across the board equals death. There's not one sin greater than the other. Right? And, and, and so, if that's the truth, then that means you are the wicked of wicked. You are the dirty of the dirty. You are unclean. 
And despite of you, God is calling me. I see a lot of this. But if we believe that, if we believe that despite of who I am, I, I look at my own life and see the many times I've failed Jesus constantly, the many times that I, I have led people to sin. And Jesus still calls me? And if you forget that, your entire mission is about you. Everything you'll live for is about you. But if you remember that Jesus calls you despite of you, man, you would then turn and look at the people who are on the outside, those who are downtrodden, those who are oppressed, and you would go to them and go, if God can save Levi, if God can save Paul, if God can save me, he can free you. Don't forget that you are. This is us. And so why did Jesus do that? So that when we saw we, oh man. He did this so that when we can go, man, if he can save Levi, he can save the prostitute, he can save the murderer, he can save the rapist, he can save the terrorist, he can save the different ethnic groups, he can save you. Praise God that Jesus is who he says he is and he's doing what he said he came here to do. This is exactly what restoring the sight to the blind looks like. This is exactly what setting the captives free looks like. This is exactly what proclaiming the good news looks like. Mm. But they hated Jesus, right? Look at, I want to read, look at verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast uh, often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. <laughs> I love this. But yours, they eat and drink. Okay? So, so now they're trying to get Jesus to, to trip up of why he's even on his mission. They're like, hey, all these other disciples and followers of John, they're awesome. But yours, they just eat and drink all the time. What's up with that, Jesus? Right? And, and a part of that whole eating and drink thing, right? Um, it, they're fishermen. Okay? They're a bunch of pirates. Right? And so, of course, they're going to they're, they're gonna act like fishermen. Right? And so anyway, I, y'all didn't like think that was funny, but I do. Right? It's because you're not from the ghetto like I am. And Jesus said to them, verse 34, Can you make wedding guests, guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on the old garment. For if he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. For if he does, the new wine will burst, right? And the new, sorry, I lost my plate, will burst the skins and will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, desires um, the new, for he says the old is good. Okay, so uh, I really want to unpack this at a different time because it's really good. But um, just to get, because we're, we're pushing through this text, right? Um, Jesus is engaging them in how they view spirituality. Okay, y'all, y'all checking with me? He, he's doing that thing that we talked about last week where he is relentlessly trying to set captives free. Okay? And these Pharisees who are challenging him, they have been held captive by the law that God gave them to actually free them. 
Okay? Are y'all with me? We're going to see that in this next part. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hand. But some of the Pharisees says, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Okay? Here's Jesus. Jesus answered them. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, when those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. All right, this, is, this is how he's engaging the culture. Relentless. Okay? He's relentless. Verse 5. And he said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? So here's what Jesus just did. Okay? Uh, and, and like I said, Jesus is a stray rebel. Okay? What he just did. Um, sorry, hold on. Yeah. What he just did here is he's trying to show these Pharisees who are captive by the law um, that, that they're getting it wrong once again. Okay? They're, they are mad at the fact that Jesus and his disciples are plucking grain and eating on the Sabbath. Okay? Uh, and, and so here's what's happening next. Look at verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and the man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they may find reason to accuse him. Okay, here's that religious spirit. Once again, are y'all with me? So focus in. This is awesome. Okay, here's that religious spirit that if it takes hold of you and holds you captive, it will turn your heart to something very wicked. Okay, there's this crippled man, withered up hand. Okay, they bring him to Jesus to be healed. On the outside, what does that sound like? Man, they're good. These are good people. Here they come. They're bringing this man to be healed. But it's the Sabbath. So on the inside, the only reason they're doing that is so that they could accuse Jesus of doing something that's not lawful on the Sabbath to do. Do you see that wickedness that a religious spirit has? I don't know if y'all are seeing it with me. Let's keep going. But Jesus, he knew their thoughts, right? You would think at some point they would just stop thinking around Jesus, right? Like, guys, this... Clear your mind forever. Just don't think about anything, right? But he knew their thoughts, right? And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking at them, all he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Okay, verse 11. There's that evil, wicked, religious spirit. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay? They missed the whole point of what the law was for. When God gave us the law, Right? It, it was to help us um, push closer to God, to rely more on His strength, to bring us more joy. But what happens is um, man gets this law, right? these Pharisees and these Israelites, they get this law and it kind of becomes their moral standard. Okay? And, and so what happens over time is that they see this law as kind of a measuring ruler stick. And if they meet a certain level, then everything is good between them and God. That's their mindset. 
All right. And so regardless of what's going on on the inside, on the outside, if they can look like they care, if they can look like they love God, if they can look like they love the church, um, then they're good. When on the inside, they're full with fury because Jesus did something good. Are you all seeing what I'm seeing here? And so they, they take this law, it becomes their pride, it becomes their strength, it becomes their way of saying, we're good now. And Jesus is going to time and time and time again attack that idea. It's not about your outward appearance, it's about what's happening in your heart. Okay? And so what they did here is they, they, they got the heart of the law, the heart of the Sabbath, all mixed up. Does anybody know what the heart of the Sabbath is? The, the heart of the Sabbath, a day of rest. That's the heart of the Sabbath, of us stop all doing and rest in God. Okay? That's, that's the heart of the Sabbath. Okay? For us to stop doing, just be, um, and, and allow Jesus to go, look, I got this, stop doing, just rest. That's the heart of the Sabbath. Okay? And, and so what I'm going to hammer into your head and what I need to be hammered into my head, because I fail at this constantly. I, I am the worst at, at keeping a Sabbath, okay? I, I'm too ADHD. If I, if I, 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 me and Mitch have talked this. If I'm not doing something, I feel like I'm um, being worthless. I always have to be doing something. Anybody struggle with that, right? That's just me, okay? Uh, so I'm struggling. But what I want to hammer time and time again um, is the fact and the truth that if you take the law of God and make it a checklist, it becomes chains on you. That will burden you, pull you further away from Jesus, and eventually destroy you. That's why a year ago, right? You guys remember a year ago? We started out preaching in Galatians, which is all about freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so what happens is we, we, we make the law of God that was meant to set us free and, and we make them chains that destroy us. And now we have this great misconception of Christians, right? The world thinks that Christians are nothing but sex deprived, um, hate having fun, a um, bunch of rule following people that their only mission is to hate people and make them vote a certain way and dress a certain way. Y'all don't watch TV? you never seen an episode of The Simpsons? <laughs> That's what the world thinks of us. Something that was meant to set us free, we've made to change. And, and, and so Jesus and the scriptures is, is coming saying, no, 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 I, I want to lead you into joy. Right? Because don't you know that your marriage, y'all are married, don't you know that when your marriage um, is, it, it's better when both of you are well rested? So rest, right? Do you have more patience when you're rested? You, you don't want to beat your kids, right? Because you've rested. Do you know that you work harder and more effectively when you've had a day of rest? You guys, are you guys with me here? Huh? Huh? The, the, the heart of the Sabbath, the rest? Don't you know that spiritually when you realize that it's not about what you do, but what Christ does, what that does to your spiritual walk? Man, if you've never experienced that, Camille's talking about her heart beating. Man, if you've never expect, uh, or, or felt Jesus going, hey, I love you, quit. I, I got this. If you've never experienced that, man, just let Jesus be Jesus. Let God be God. Right? Hmm. And so Jesus going, man, what are you, 
what are you guys doing? Don't eat on the Sabbath when we're hungry. Don't, don't heal someone when, when, when he's, he's hurting and, and he's healing. Are you kidding? Are you, what are you thinking? You guys have missed it. What Jesus is communicating is, guys, it's not about doing. It's about being. And you're never going to know um, that if you're just going and doing and doing and doing. So guys, just stop once a week and rest. Stop doing. And just be. Just be. Let Jesus just be Jesus. Jesus said, man, I love you. Man, the, Lord, the, the year of the Lord's favor is good. Right here, just rest. You don't have to do. I love you. It's not about your performance. I Just rest. Oh, man. But guys, if all we have is a task list when it comes to our walk with God, man, the Sabbath gets violated. And he's going to go, man, you guys, you, you misunderstood it all. You've, you've, you've messed up. And eventually he's going to go on and tell them, man, you, you've studied the scripture for years and yet you've never heard my father's voice. This is good news. Mm. Jesus is doing exactly what he says he's doing, Right? So just, we're going to push a little more. Can you guys push a little more with me? Right? I've been working out, so I got more energy. Right? I actually rested a little this week. Okay? Um, look at verse 12. We're going to be wrapping up really, really quickly, I promise. Chapter 6, verse 12. And in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. Okay? Are you guys seeing uh, 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 a little uh, rhythm here? Jesus isn't proclaiming, do, 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 and then rest, B, B, B. And he, I mean, he's doing that. He's going, 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 stopping, going to a desolate place, resting and praying. Then he's going, 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 stopping, resting, praying, and, and just being. So he, he's practicing what he preaches even with the Sabbath. Amen? Y'all ain't with me. Come on, listen. 13, and when the day came, he called his disciples, I love this, and chose from them the twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, who was named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and here we go, Judas Iscariot, who would become a traitor. Okay, how many of you, uh, well, I already know the answer. I love the NFL. I like football, okay, and, and I watch the football draft. I love NBA drafts, right? Um, I love seeing these players work their entire life to, to get to a point where they can become a professional athlete, okay? I love it. And so if you've ever seen a draft, raise your hand, okay? Who are the first, in the first round, who are the people picked? The best of the best, hopefully, right? Hopefully they don't turn out to be bust, okay? So, so here's what I want you to see about this. Jesus just drafted his team. Got 12 picks. <laughs> Every single one of them are, is, are a perfect example of what it looks like to be a screw-up in life. Okay? Every single one of these men. I mean, this was a bad draft for Jesus Christ's team. Okay, every single one of them, if you look at their life, are full of mess ups, screw ups. Even when they're walking with Jesus, some of them are picking fights with Jesus. Right. Jesus. No, I rebuke you, devil. Right. James gets sent out. He forgets what he even went to go do. We had to bring him back in. Right. He picked Judas, the traitor. Okay, that's like someone picking the first round receiver and going, I want that guy who has no hands, can't catch a ball. That's who I want. Right. This is Jesus' 12 
picks in his draft. And all it's doing is pointing to the fact that God cares more, once again, about our hearts and what we care and our faith in him more than our accomplishments, more than our talents, more than our abilities. That Jesus, I love, I will say this until I'm blue in the face. You will hear this. I want this on my grave. Jesus is in the business of taking broken tools and building his kingdom with them. That's all this is showing us, right? Jesus needs a better 12, right? And so, so now this is where we're going to end. Verse 17. Okay, I promise we're going to end here. And when he came down with them and stood on a level place with the great crowd of his, of his disciples and a great multitude of people of all Judea and Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, and um, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits, they were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. And, and so what's happening now, okay? We, I mean, we just blew through a bunch of scripture, but what's happening is that the ministry of Jesus is continuously growing. It, it's, it continues to move, and he continues to do exactly what he said he came here to do. Okay? Now, now in just a few years from this point, he's going to say to these, to these men, I have to go. He's going to come to them and he's going to say, I have to go. I have to go sit on the right hand of my father. I got to make an intercession for you. And so I got to get out of here. Right? And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you, if, if you read your Bible, you know he's talking about he's going to die. He's going to go to heaven. Right? And, and his disciples, they're, they're, not going to, they're going to be troubled by this. And, and they're going to try to say, hey, no, stay here with us. And he goes, no, 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 no. I have to go so that the helper, that the spirit can come. And the spirit's going to help you. He's going to empower you. And you're going to do greater things than these. And man, we just went through a lot of great things. Right? I'm talking demons getting put in place. Cripples getting healed. Lepers and their stuff falling off their body getting put back on. Right? You're going to do greater things than these. So, so all of that being said, okay? Listen to this. Setting the captives free. Removing the weight from people who are oppressed. Opening the eyes of those who are spiritually and physically blind. Proclaiming the Lord's favor. All these things that Jesus come to bring are still happening today. All of these things that Jesus, that we just went over. Jesus' ministry still moving today. And what that means is that Jesus is still calling us to Him today. Jesus is still calling people to Himself. Regardless if they're broken, regardless if they're unworthy or unclean, He's calling. Amen? And so I see it on your face, right? I promise you I'm done. So, so the time of response, what does this mean? Okay? And I don't know. I've prayed all week. I don't know what this means for all of you. Okay? I don't know what this means. But as I, uh, what I see in reading this text is that Jesus is the great reconciler. That all this points to is Jesus reconciles us to him. Right? Y'all getting restless. So stay with me. That Jesus is this great restorer. That Jesus is the great physician. That he is the redeemer. 
And that all I see is when we read this is that Jesus loves and he gets glory when those unclean, outcast, dirty, wicked sinners come to him. I mean, he thrives on this. That's like his MO, right? He, this is what he loves. His kingdom's going to be filled with mighty, wonderful, smart people and a whole bunch of idiots who just love Jesus with all of their hearts. Right? And I'll be dancing right in the middle of them. Because they're more fun than the others, right? But what this means, what, we, what this means is that, that, look, it's all about Jesus. Regardless of our failures and our mishaps, it's, it centers in on Jesus and on His mission. And all I see when we read these texts is His amazing grace. That this is amazing grace. That he would shed his blood. right? He would die for us so that we can be what? Set free. We just sang and proclaimed that. This is what Jesus came to do. And, and so instead of, right? I mean, look. We, the, the question was, is, can Jesus be trusted? We just found zero hypocrisy in Jesus. Zero. He, he never falter, faltered. He never went astray. He never um, put his own interests in, into motion. He was 100% about God's mission and building the kingdom here on earth. So that means we have this obligation, right, to do something, right? I see it, Donnie. What do I need to do? Some of you are like, Donnie, shut up already, right? But the ones of you who are, are with me, listen to me. It's, time of response will look a little different. How about today we just stop doing for a second how about we just stop and just be how about today right our time of response we just stop and just think about who jesus christ is let's center our heart and let, let it just settle in our mind let's get rid of this idea that god is in heaven and he's looking down and going well they didn't do that this week and so i don't love them anymore and I say that as a joke, and some of us chuckle, but some of you struggle with that. I know you do. And you're just being held captive by the law that was meant to set you free. And so why don't we just, just rest knowing that Jesus chose to go to the tax collector booth and tell this corrupt man to follow him. Why don't we just rest in the fact knowing that we are just like those 12 disciples, just not worthy to be called, but God has a purpose for us anyways. Why don't we just rest knowing that what Jesus did for us is good enough to be forgiven of our sins, that God is pleased with His Son. Amen? Or, you can keep playing this church game. If this is how you, if, if you ever heard that church can become a hobby, anybody ever heard that? A hobby is something that you do at least once a week. If church is your hobby and you just come just to come and you leave and you're unchanged and you, and you never pursue Christ after that, you have the lamest hobby in the world. Right? Find a different one. You can continue to play church games all you want. Or you can come to Christ knowing He has a plan and purpose for your life. And, and so what this will look like, Christians, this, this can be several, several applications for you. I just want you to focus in on if Jesus did what He said He came to do, what are you doing about that? Is your mission lined up with what Jesus was doing here on earth? 
Are you engaging the culture through love and grace and mercy? Do you care more about the culture and the lost people in our culture? Care more about their salvation than their morals? If not, we need to get realigned with what Jesus has called us to do. And if you're not a believer, okay, we just many examples of how Jesus cares more about your heart than who you are. A lot of us have this idea that we have to get clean. We have to um, better ourselves, fix ourselves become, before we come to Jesus. That is a fat lie from the devil. Jesus walked to the tax collector's booth as he was sinning right there. Follow me. Stared the thief and the murderer on the cross and said, I- I'm going to see you today in paradise. All that to say, guys, If you are being oppressed by God's law that was meant to set you free, why don't you come and lay it down? If there's something in your heart that's um, out of line with Jesus and his mission, why don't you come and realign yourself? And if you are being oppressed, if you are in, in the worst state of your mind, know that Jesus came to set us free. But really, some of us just need to rest. Stop trying to do and just be. It's one thing to to say something. It's another to do it and be it. I'm going to have the team, worship team come up. I'm going to pray. If you need to make a decision for Christ, I'm here. The altar is open. Let's pray.